thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And listen, me and Shockwave Dave have got an amazing show lined up for you guys today. We are talking to two Bantamweight contenders who are both fighting at UFC 238. We're talking with Jimmy the Terror Rivera and Aljamain the Funk Master Sterling. We'll be talking about their fights coming up. Plus, all of the great fight action happening this weekend on a banger of a pay-per-view card. Plus, we'll be reacting to what happened last week in Stockholm, which had some really heavy stuff, including two fighters retiring. We'll be talking about that, and we'll be doing a combat countdown, talking about some documentary choices we hope the UFC makes in the future. So don't miss a single one of those. But before we get to any of that phenomenal content, I want to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com and use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you're going to get 20% off your whole order there. And let me tell you something. Right now, they have two brand new geese. They've got the Giant Mountain Gee, which is a royal blue gee, very sharp, and they got the Basin Mountain Gee, which is also very nice, but it's brown and green. It's a really cool color scheme. Both of those right there now on ADKFightWear.com, 80 bucks. But if you use our promo code TURTLE, you're going to get 20% off, which means you are going to get a brand new high-quality gi for $64. Look, there is nowhere online where you are going to find a gi for $64. So I highly recommend heading to ADKFightWear.com and getting one of these while the supplies last. You won't regret it. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Jimmy the Terra Rivera, who fights Peter Young at UFC 238. Jimmy, uh, i got to talk to you a little bit first about the main event, because obviously... Uh, you got a loss to the guy fighting in the main event for the title, Marlon Marias. Uh, how motivated are you with this matchup and with him fighting on the card to get another shot at him, being that the first time was so quick and, and sort of fluky? Yeah, I mean, you know, he caught me the first time. It was, uh, you know, a good kick. I, I misjudged it, thought it was going to the body. Um, the fact that I'm on the card and I'm fighting an up-and-comer who's, uh, you know, he's got a good record behind him. I think I'm not, it doesn't really keep me far away from a title contendership, especially with a, you know, a big win over him and a, a dominant win over Peter Jan. Yeah, and actually, we we talked to Aljamain Sterling earlier on this episode about the fact that, you know, Peter Jan and you are are on the main card, and, and this seems like a fight that is almost a little bit higher ranked than Aljamain's, who's coming off a decision victory over you. Do you feel like you might possibly jump the queue with an impressive victory? Yeah, I think so. I think anything can happen. I mean, it's a UFC, you know, it's a UFC. Anything can happen. You never know. My biggest thing is, oh, is, you know, get the win and get it in a dominant fashion next Saturday. Absolutely. So I also got to ask you, too, before we move on from this fight and start talking about your fight, who do you got in that main event? Because obviously, you know, you've been in there with Marlon Marias. Everybody's curious to see what Henry Cejudo looks like at Bantamweight. Who, who do you have in that matchup? I mean, just on paper, I, I got Marlon alone. You know what I mean? Marlon's bigger. Um, guy's a good, you know, wrestling background from the people he trains with. Not to mention, he's really good at mixing up his hands and legs. Where Henry is coming up a weight class, is not as big. He's, he's, he's an Olympic wrestler. He's a good wrestler. And you can see from the Demetrius Johnson fight, 
but he's also coming up weight class. And, you know, his boxing, I think, is better than Marlon's. But you really, at the end of the day, it's MMA, anything can happen. But I got Marlon in that fight right now. And how about that other Bantamweight fight that I mentioned, too? Aljamain Sterling fighting Pedro Munoz a little bit earlier on the card. Who do you like in that matchup of, of potential future opponents? I got, um, I, well, I fought Pedro already on uh, my second fight. Um, and he's a tough SOB. Um, I got Pedro in that fight. Interesting, interesting. So uh, now let's talk about your fight with with Peter Jan because, you know, this is what we came to the table for. So the UFC obviously offered you this shot against the up-and-comer. You mentioned it already. It's a super tough fight to take, especially when you've been on top for so long. What were sort of your initial thoughts on it when it was offered? It was one of those things that was offered, and he's a big up-and-comer, and the fact is that I get a win over him could put me right into the title contendership or even won a number one contendership. So that was, that was one of the big things. You know what I mean? You, you want to beat the cream of the crop and get, you know, you get where you want to be. Sometimes it's a tough road, and that's what it is. It's a tough road, but, you know, the UFC is really pushing for him, and um, he's up and coming right now. He's doing really well. So, you know, you got, you got to go with the toughest. To, you got to beat the baddest so you can become the baddest, you know? That's right, and and he has had a really good run here too, and, and a lot of it has been based on his takedown game. He, he's got a ton of takedowns in the UFC. You yourself have never been taken down in the UFC. Do you expect him to be shooting for him constantly? Um, yeah, he could be if he wants. I mean, honestly, I, um, I'm not really worried to be honest with you. If he does, he does. If he doesn't, you know, um. You know, my last fight, I didn't do well with Sterling, but one of the biggest things is Sterling is uh, a big wrestler, grappler, and um, he wasn't able to take me down. So I don't, I don't believe Beyond's going to be able to take uh, me down. And, and so if he's not able to take you down, and, and you've sort of already hinted that you're looking for the spectacular finish here, what's sort of your prediction for this fight? Man, I'm, I didn't want to get my hand raised, but I'm looking to, you know, get wherever I can to finish the fight. It has to be on the ground. It's a submission. It has to be standing. Whatever it is, I want to finish the fight. You know what I mean? That's my main goal is to go in there and finish that fight. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, this is Jimmy, the Terry Rivera, who fights Pitterion at UFC 238. Jimmy, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to the Funk Master, Aljamain Sterling, who fights Pedro Munoz at UFC 238. So, Aljamain, you're coming off street straight wins over opponents that were ranked at the time, a dominant decision over Jimmy Rivera. It seemed like you might be lined up for that title shot, but it winds up going to the flyweight, Henry Cejudo. What were your thoughts when Cejudo got that title fight? Uh... I mean, I was a little disappointed being that Sayudo hasn't fought any top caliber guys at 135. I know people are going to say, oh, he fought TJ, but that was at 125. That's a completely different animal than fighting somebody at 135. A 10-pound difference really doesn't make a big difference, um, even though he did beat TJ regardless. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed about it, but at the end of the day, I originally planned to fight one more time before I would be able to ask for a title shot and uh, here we are so got one more tough opponent in front of me I got to dispatch him look good doing it and shoot my shot and has the UFC said anything about you getting the next title shot if you do win this fight no I don't think they normally do I think it's more so honestly it's a popularity contest it's a what have you done for me lately 
in terms of your performance, um, who's more relevant and who they think can bring in the most dollars right now. And I honestly think it might be a race between myself and uh, Peter Yan, although he is fighting someone that I just beat. Um, granted, if he were to go out there and get a finish over over Rivera, I know the UFC might try to pull some some funny some funny strings, but um, I, in my in my eyes, this is the number one contender fight. This is the fight that the fans want to see, and uh, I think rightfully so, the winner of this deserves the next shot. And, and would you win? You and uh, Pedro fighting a little bit earlier on the card because you're on the ESPN portion of the the card, not the pay-per-view portion. How, how closely will you be watching both of those other two bantamweight fights coming later in the night? Are you are you planning on watching them from the back? Are you going to get a seat in the the cage side? What what's sort of the plan for that? Well, of late, the UFC since the new merger with WMEIMG, they haven't allowed us to go back out to the arena after we fight, like we were able to back in the. Uh, the, the pre-WME days, but um, I'm definitely going to be watching it in the back room. Uh, hopefully, I'll have a, a bottle in hand, kicking my feet up, and uh, enjoying a, a sweet victory. Absolutely. Now, I, I want to talk, too, a little bit about those fights. Let, let's start with the main event, because it is an exciting one between Cejudo and Marias. Who, who do you got in the fight, and, and how do you expect it to go? Honestly, I, I really do not know. I... I really, I really don't, I, to be completely upfront and honest, I really do not care who wins. At the end of the day, I just want to fight the winner and, and get my shot. I think it's a tough matchup for both guys. Um, Henry Seydudu, he, he possesses the uh, wrestling aspect of the game over Marlon. Marlon's tough, strong. Um, he's got that one, hit, that one hit shot that can put guys down, put them out. And... Um, He's solid on the ground in terms of BJJ. I, I don't really, I really don't think his, his BJJ is as great as it may seem, being that he got a black belt. But we haven't really seen it in action, to be, in my assessment of the MMA aspect. But uh, it's a it's a tough fight for both men. I think whoever can impose their will is going to get it done. Well, we're looking forward to it too. Now, I'm also looking forward to your fight. Now, usually I would start by talking about grappling, because obviously you've got some amazing wrestling yourself. Pedro Munoz got a ton of submissions and some grappling experience uh, under his belt. But both of you have been keeping it on the feet lately. You you spent your entire fight with Jimmy Rivera on the feet. He spent his entire last fight with uh, Cody Garbrandt on the feet. L- let's talk about the striking. Where do you think you have an advantage when it comes to striking with Pedro Munoz? I think I have the range. I think I have the, the better dexterity when it comes to the kicks and the unorthodox kicks. I think I can uh, mix it up a little bit better. And I think my reflexes are a little bit sharper than his. Um, he's a pretty stationary target, man. He's pretty hittable. It's not like he's avoiding the fight. He's he's willing to, to take one or two to give one. And uh, he's a tough dude. He forces, he'll hurt guys and then force them to shoot. The difference with the guys he's fought is their, their footwork. I, I think that's the key in terms of the difference. I think Rivera learned that the hard way. I think Cody Stammen learned that the hard way. And I think uh, Brett Johns learned that the hard way. So... Um, even the guys before that, you know, Marlon was the only one who really, really got by. Um, and I still believe it was my own undoing that caused that, that terrible end to the fight. But kudos to him. He got it done. And, uh, I think, uh, one well-timed takedown is gonna, is gonna have Munoz. 
I think he's gonna it's gonna it's gonna really have him second second guessing himself. One well time takedown. Well, and that was what I was gonna ask next too. I feel like your wrestling is is head and shoulders above him. Do you expect to spend most of this fight on the mat with him? Yeah, I think he's gonna be ready for that. I think he knows. I think it, with the difference between him and Rivera, he's gonna be more accepting of the takedown. I think he's gonna be more willing to play the BJJ game in the fist fight. And I think that's where he's going to get hurt because uh, it's not drilling. We're not we're not going through technical motions. I'm in there to hurt you. And um, once I hit once the fight hits the ground, if he leaves himself exposed any such way, there will be elbows looking to rain down on his face. And and now I was going to ask you too. So you, you said elbows raining down on his face. He's never been stopped in his professional career. He's got three losses. All three of them have come by decision. Do you expect to be the first person to, to take him out of there? You know what? I, I'll take the fight, the victory any way I can get it. Um, I can point fight him. I can out grapple him and look for the submission. And I think I can dominate him on the feet. Uh, and if I need to get into a war where it's a, a, a knock him down, drag him out fight, I think I can more than hang with him in, in that department. I think what he doesn't realize is my arms are, are really long for the weight class. And I could turn those elbows into a Tony Ferguson style and really start slicing them up. So if it gets to the nitty-gritty and I need to dig down deep and, and make it into one of those type of fights, I, I 100% got the, the skills and capability of doing that and the balls to do it. So um, I don't know. This is going to be an exciting fight. I don't think there's going to be any type of lull in the action. And Pedro's coming to fight. I think if he accepts the takedown, it's going to be a bad night for him. I think if he tries to keep it standing, it's going to be a bad night for him. No matter where the fight goes, I think it's going to be a bad night. Absolutely. Now, obviously, we're, we're predicting a win here. You don't really care how it goes. But i got to ask, you, you worried about the, the monkey business, as you said, with Pitter Jan possibly jumping the queue. Do you got anything prepared for the post-fight interview to make sure that Marwin and Henry don't ignore you or the UFC doesn't ignore you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'll be prepared. I got something. I got some fair share of words that I like to uh, share with the company and share with all the other bandwaits out there. At the end of the day, I, I still believe I'm the greatest bandwait in this division, and I'm going to go out there and prove it on the night. All right, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, this is Aljamain Sterling, who fights Pedro Munoz at UFC 238. Aljamain, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me. Make sure you guys tune in. It's going to be a funk fest. Um, and I'm going to go out there and style on Pedro Munoz in spectacular human backpack fashion. And those interviews with Aljamain Sterling and Jimmy Rivera are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social, is the one and only social media app for the jiu-jitsu enthusiast. Look, if you are the type of person who likes to go to jiu-jitsu, you like to make notes, you like to tell people that you're training, this app is going to do all of those things. And it's going to help you keep track of your friends as well. Let me tell you something. You go to Google Play, you go to iTunes Store, you download the Maroon app, now you got it on your phone. This is what you're going to do. You're going to set up your profile, you get your name, your belt, where you train, and then you can start logging your trainings. And the coolest thing about that is that once you start logging your trainings, they will give you a report that tells you how often you're training month to month and whether that number is going up or whether that number is going down. It's going to make sure that your jiu-jitsu trajectory continues to rise so that you are going to get better and better and better. And now they've got all kinds of new features too. You can log competitions, seminars. You can now tag your friends so that your friends know that you're training and, and encourage them to get to training. It is an amazing app. And if you do jiu-jitsu, you're silly not to have it. Now, 
Back to the show. I am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, Aljo, he says he's worried about Peter Yan, who's fighting our other our other interviewee, Jimmy Rivera, possibly jumping the queue and getting the title shot. Do you think that's possible? The answer to that is yes. Yes, I think that is very possible. I think Aljamain Sterling is pretty wise to even be thinking about such possibilities because I think it's pretty clear the UFC likes Peter Yan. Uh, 4-0, and with the next win, if he beat Rivera, he'd be 5-0. and And we all know the UFC loves like a quick, fast-rising star like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Aljamain Sterling could be worried about that. I guess my question to you, Gumby, is do, does the UFC, I know this is always kind of a mysterious thing, would they have say in the top rankings, though? I mean, it technically is an independent body of MMA nerds, no? Yeah, it's an independent body of MMA nerds. I, I think with a win here, Aljamain Sterling becomes the number one contender, like, in those rankings. But I'm not sure if it matters, especially if Marlon Marias winds up the champion. Because Marlon Marias has that brutal, uh, I guess you'd call it a, a knee knockout of, of Aljamain Sterling as it is. Like, the best thing that could happen for Aljamain Sterling is Henry Cejudo could win the main event and he could fight Henry Cejudo because like, I I think that that's a more marketable matchup, but like being knocked out, you might run into some problems there and Peter Jan might just take advantage of it. Yeah. So something to watch out for. Definitely. You know, for the past few years, it has stayed this way. And I should say it has been the Bantamweight division, one of the most exciting and talent rich divisions. And it's staying that way. You know, this is a, a good conversation to have. So we're talking about, does Aljamain Sterling win? Does Peter Yan win? Uh, you know, the, these are two guys that would have uh, right to claim the number one uh, title contender. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Aljamain Sterling fight Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz could be in there that mix, too. Mm. I mean, Jimmy Rivera, probably not in that mix. But then also you have, like, Dominic Cruz who could just fucking appear at any point in time, right? So, like, it, it is a really fun division right now. Or how about Uriah Faber, fresh off? Three years of retirement. Yeah, Uriah Faber coming back is a is a just a weird one to me. He's fighting Ricky Simone, who's who's also probably not that far out too, because he's like three and zero in the UFC. All right, uh, we'll move along. We got a jam packed show here. Let's go to our favorite segment on the show. It's fastest fight news. We deliver the news to you in under fifteen minutes or less, or your podcast is free. And I guess there's no better place to start, Gumby. But there was a barrage of retirements this past weekend of course being headlined by alexander gustafson off a loss jimmy manawa off a scary loss nick hine and outside the ufc king mo uh what do you make of all these retirements at once and and obviously the big one the crown jewel of this retirement group being gus Uh, i think gus is is a good timely retirement like Gus is not a guy who needs fighting to make money he has endeavors outside of the UFC that he can make money with there's no reason for him to be fighting if he's not going to be champion because that's all he cares about so the fact that that he's choosing to do so now I I there's a lot of people out there saying it doesn't stick I I really believe it sticks And, and it's not because he can't beat every light heavyweight who is not the top three right now, because I truly believe he probably can beat all of everybody in the, the UFC, except for John Jones, Daniel Cormier, and, and he could probably beat Anthony Smith in a rematch too. Like I'd pick him over Tiago Santos. I'd pick him over Glover Teixeira. I'd, I might pick him over Dominic Reyes even like 
he is still one of the top guys, but he, you know, he obviously thinks he can't win the title. It makes sense for him to retire now. Now, Jimmy Manawa is also a smart retirement because the dude has just been in some wars. And I don't know about you, that head kick was terrifying to me. Terrifying. Yeah. So in, in addition to that, too, like, you know, like Nick Hine is retiring because, you know, he's just at that point in his career where he doesn't think he's going to make it any further. He's starting to get a little older. King Mo, you know, lost over in Ryzen, which is, you know, unfortunate for him. So, you know, like all of the retirements to me, at least this batch, all seem to have like decent reasons behind them. They're not like reactionary, especially because Jimmy Manoa took a couple of days to think about it. And even though, you know, Gus has seemed reactionary, I think he's doing it for the right reasons. And I hope all of them stick. Yeah, so my on this is um, I think all these retirements, you know, they're fine. I would never tell someone not to retire if that's, you know, where their head's at, where their heart's at. As Dana White always says, you know, once you think you have one foot out the door, you're talking about retirement, you're not 100% invested in it, you probably have a problem. I always got the sense with Gus, too. I don't know that his heart was necessarily always in it post the Jones loss, the first one. I felt like he kind of stuck around, always hoping for that rematch. Well, he got his rematch last December. He lost. And that, to me, was kind of it for him, because I don't think he ever thought he was going to get a third crack at Jones, who, you know, is probably going to be the champion until he retires or moves divisions. Watch him get knocked out in July. But um, that all being said, what I take away from this is when you think about it, and I tweeted this out on our Twitter, at MMA, the UFC 205 division has really been on lock for five years. Most UFC divisions go through a lot of chaos, a lot of turnover. But I want to say Jones fought Glover Teixeira in April of 2014, I believe, and I'm saying this off the top of my head, that was the night Rumble came back and got a decision win over Phil Davis. And then for the next few years, as Jones came in and out of trouble and kept on winning whenever he would come back, you always had this like top five of Jones, Gus, and D.C., or really Jones, D.C., and then Gus. And then hovering in the top five were Rumble until he retired, and Glover was always there, and Bader was there until he went to Bellator. But those were like the stalwarts of the division for five full years. And now all that's left is really Jones because Glover's gone very far down in the rankings. He's kind of on the back nine, if not the back two of his career. Um Gus just retired. Rumble retired last year. DC says he has about three fights left in him, and he's the heavyweight champion. So, you know, this is a new era for the taking for the Anthony Smiths and Johnny Walkers, et cetera. Yeah. Do you and, agree? And and the Alexander Rachich, who who just was the one who, you know, decapitated Jimmy Manoa. I, I think light heavyweight is a fun division right now. And, uh, you know, like, obviously, you know, everybody's always said things about, you know, the talent level and stuff like that. But, you know, with with Luke Rockhold coming up, the talks of Yoel Romero coming up, I, I think it's as exciting as it's been in quite a while. And like you said, wide open. Uh, we'll move then to the other big news item of the week, and that's that uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov has signed a new UFC contract. As of taping, details a little sketchy, but we know two things. And I think they're worth discussing. The first thing we know, and this comes from his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, says he is now the highest paid athlete in the UFC after that new deal. What do you make of that comment? 
Do you think it's true? Is this a manager boasting, or is this actually possible? Well, I guess I I don't know that he knows what everybody else makes, and I, and I guess with Connor Ronda and Brock Lesnar not in the fold anymore, it, it's totally right. possible. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was making more than John Jones, but you know, like probably right at that line anyway. So uh, I'm sure it's Ali, you know, like pumping him up a little bit extra. But I, I also wouldn't be totally surprised if there was some truth to it. It's one of those things you read and you're like, what? And then you're like, oh, wait, yeah. Like, with Connor gone, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think he makes more than Jones, let's say. And obviously there's a new structure to all these deals. I mean, this is something why they couldn't net Brock Lesnar coming back because of the whole ESPN pay-per-view model and buy rates being less and more guaranteed money up front from ESPN for the rights to air those pay-per-views. Brock didn't want to come back. He was looking for one of those more old school deals where he'd get paid by, you know, the number of buys or you guarantee me what we think the pay-per-view buys would have been in the old model. Habib obviously isn't getting paid on that old model. So maybe in the new model, he's like whatever the first that new model be, guy. Don't know. Yeah, he's like the right. first new model guy. Exactly. So, yeah. So it, it makes sense. Maybe he is the highest paid right now. And maybe that's something the UFC just told Ali being like, because he is the first new model guy, you're like, oh, obviously he's the highest paid guy now. Right, because he's going to get more guaranteed up front, whereas Jones might have a contract that was more structured towards, you know, you get 500,000 buys, this really starts to pay out because you're a pay-per-view star. Well, pay-per-view mode is now dead. The other point to bring uh, it came out that there's a GSP clause in the contract. No one really knows what that means, but just that, there is something in that contract having to do with GSP. Put your conspiracy hat on. What do you think it is? I have to imagine that this allows him to fight GSP if he comes back with, like, already either a financial structure in place or uh, can, like, bail on whatever title defense he's supposed to. Like, I, I can ignore the fact that I have the title for a little bit so I can go fight GSP at any way GSP feels comfortable at. And I'm guaranteed, you know, roughly this amount of money. Uh, you know, like, it's clear that Habib has always wanted to fight GSP. He basically begged him to come back when GSP retired. So, like, I think this is just Habib making sure that if GSP comes back, he's the first one to get dibs on him, not Connor. Right. Yeah, I think that's something. I think there's something to that as well. Or maybe the bonus structure goes up in some way if he takes a super fight with GSP. It's just very interesting, obviously. GSP said that was the fight he wanted before retiring, but they couldn't work it out. And now we find out that Habib has a clause in his contract having to do with that fight. I always got the sense that GSP wanted one more fight. I don't know. It's just very interesting. I, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised to see him fight one more time. I, I don't know how you feel about that situation, but I truly feel like there's a, a real possibility that we see him fight again. Because, like, his retirement just seems so soft. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I fully believe hearing that there's a GSP clause in that contract that you know, you know, Ali smells the money on this. He's been on the phone with Faraz Zahabi, GSP's management, whoever he has to. Hey, let's just make this happen. Uh, you know, maybe GSP couldn't have worked it out with the UFC, but they know there's money on the table, and it's such a great matchup. I've brought this up on the show before. I would also like to see Khabib versus Usman. Um, if he was going to come up to 170, I think that's an intriguing matchup. 
But obviously, I'm a huge GSP fan. I'll take that matchup all day. That wraps it up for Fastest Fight News. Let's move on to our other favorite segment on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's the Combat Countdown. One might wonder, though, before we get to this Combat Countdown, Gumby, does any company sponsor said countdown? Well, of course, this Combat Countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com and get the right mouth guard for you because they've got a whole bunch of mouth guards, but they are all innovative in their design because they have tiny perforations that allow you to talk, breathe, and drink all with that mouth guard up in your mouth so you don't have to constantly be taking it out to talk to your teammates or the people you're rolling with or whatever sport you're playing. You don't have to take that mouth guard out of your mouth. You can just leave it on in there, and you can get those mouth guards right now for 15% off when you use our promo code TOPTURTLE15. All right, well, this combat countdown was inspired on something we talked about on our Twitter, at MMA. Follow us if you're not already. And that's that now that MMA is on ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, as it is known, uh, and not just uh, UFC, we should say, also the PFL, um, it's worth noting that, of course, they have the very hugely popular documentary series 30 for 30. So we wondered what would be a good 30 for 30 that ESPN could do on our beloved world of MMA. Now here's the good news. One, they did an audio 30 for 30. So not video, but just a audio podcast. They released on UFC one that was back in 2017. And that was excellent. I highly recommend you go and you check that out in the archives. They could turn that into a video. It didn't make our list, so we'll just call it an honorable mention. We, of course, love hearing about UFC 1. They've already done a 30 for 30, just an audio format. The good news here is that there is going to be the first 30 for 30 on an MMA subject, and it's going to be on Chuck and Tito. How exciting is that going to be? Oh, I love it, because Chuck and Tito is one of the things that like really entrenched my love of, of MMA, because like it gave you somebody to hate. Whether you loved Tito and hated Chuck, or you loved Chuck and hated Tito, it like gave you a team. It was like Red Sox, Yankees, or, you know... What, whatever other sports rivalry you got to throw in there, it was that rivalry for MMA. And for me, I'm real jacked up to see it. Absolutely. So that will not be in our top five because it's already happening. Good news. But we took to Twitter. We took your feedback. We compiled a list in our heads together, and we are proud to present our top five most wanted 30 for 30s. We'll, of course, be sending this to our friends over at ESPN and trying to make it happen for everyone. Let's start with number five, as we always do. And I think there would be no better subject. Well, there are four better subjects, but (laughs) this is certainly in the top five uh, and one I would be very excited about. And that's about one Brock Lesnar's uh, switchover from the world of WWE to MMA and the UFC. Yeah, and I think Brock Lesnar's story in general is just one that like resonates with sports fans, right? He's like an amazing college athlete turned attempted pro football player turned WWE wrestler turned MMA fighter, and not just MMA fighter, an MMA fighter who like made the switch to MMA kind of late in life and immediately turned into a superstar in the UFC shortly after making the switch. Like, and you get the, the whole, you know, rundown with Frank Mir, the back and forth there, the loss to Frank Mir, which you have to imagine weighed heavily on the guy. And and then his rise to the title through Randy Couture. It, it's such an interesting story. And 
What I think is the most interesting and what would bring me into this story the most is the fact that we don't get a lot of background on Brock Lesnar, right? Like, Brock Lesnar is one of those guys who's been super quiet his whole career because he doesn't like doing interviews. He doesn't like letting you know about his life. And we would get that with the 30 for 30. So I would love it personally. Yeah, exactly. You know, Brock Lesnar, he's a guy, he's really a, a gun for hire. The fact that he still does WWE doesn't really seem to have a love for it. But Vince McMahon and WWE just keeps throwing money at him, so he does it, which is also kind of funny because he's a guy that just likes to hunt and be by himself in, in North Dakota or wherever he lives right now. But, uh, you know, he came back to the UFC in 2016 for UFC 200. There's, of course, the popping for steroids. That's sort of an interesting angle to this. There's the fact that he had diverticulitis, and there's kind of a what could have been as well if he mm. didn't get sick. Um so he has had a crazy career, and actually ESPN did interview him. I think it was for their E60 series, if I'm not mistaken, and they asked him about steroids. This is years and years ago. Um, I want to say somewhere in like the 2010 range, and he walked off the set because um, he didn't want to be asked about steroids. Uh, so just that footage alone could be in it. They could do a follow-up to it. They could ask him again about steroids, see if he walks off the interview set. It would definitely be an interesting documentary. But you want to talk interesting. I don't know. It, now, when we put this out on Twitter, we got a lot of feedback about this next subject. I myself would like to see where his career ends up and get a little more perspective on it. But you could not go wrong with a 30 for 30 on John Jones up until this point. Yeah. And, and you're right. It, this could catapult itself in a number, you know, three, two or one, two with, with wherever his, his reign goes. But like, you know, between hitting the pregnant lady with his car and the steroid suspension and trying to clear his name through USADA and like everything that's happened with John Jones, it's just like one of the most interesting stories of a very quick rise to fame. Like, People forget, too, that while all of this stuff is sort of, like, marred his career, or, or, like, image of his career, this is a dude who, like, came up faster than most people have ever come up and destroyed some really fucking impressive names in the process, right? Like, he broke Brandon Vera's eye socket so loud that you could hear it pop. Like, he beat the piss out of Stefan Bonner. He, like put it absolutely on Shogun who for the title when Shogun was like at his deadliest like his rise to the top is so interesting and then what happens when he gets there it's fascinating and even if it ended with the knockout of DC like even if that was the end it's an exciting story and that's not the end so I mean that's like it's a made for TV movie right there yeah, I, it's a no-brainer. You know, the John Jones 30 for 30 would be tremendous. Um, you could probably argue and say it needs to be up towards one. I think we just ranked it a little lower because it's really, the story isn't over yet, and I want to see where it goes. Also, I mean, this is a man, the way he improvises in the ring, the way he's able to defeat people in different ways, out-wrestling DC, out-striking, whoever you want to say, uh, just an incredible, maybe the greatest MMA uh, performer of all time. Uh, we'll go to number three, and that, of course, is Kimbo Slice's transition from YouTube uh, backstreet brawler, backyard brawler, to MMA 
uh, star. He might not have had the most prolific MMA career, but he was certainly an MMA star. So Kimbo, number three. Yeah, and I think MMA star is the right word. Like, he was everywhere for a little while, and I think people forget about that. And also on top of that, too, I think people forget that while, like, he was being shoved down our throats, he was a super humble guy. Like, he just knew he needed to get better. That's why he wanted to do the Ultimate Fighter. You don't think he could have pulled the, like, CM Punk route, jumped right into the UFC with, like, a high-profile fight on a pay-per-view? He 100% could have. But instead, they worked him through the Ultimate Fighter where he got knocked out in the, or, you know, finished in the first round against a guy who, you know, everybody saw as fairly unassuming. Then he made his debut and, get, you know, that was lackluster. But at the same time, he was, like, honing his skills He's a super interesting guy because I don't think people know that what the persona was. Plus, we would get the whole Seth Petrozilli, uh, you know, debacle that that pretty much ruined Elite XC. Uh, I, I think that that story is so interesting, and I, I think he's like a fun human interest piece too. Well, you want to talk human interest piece? Uh, she is the biggest female star of all time. Certainly, the UFC has done documentaries to death on her, but it would be nice to see uh, ESPN and an outside party do a documentary on, of course, Ronda Rousey, also the WWE tie-in, just like Brock Lesnar. But, you know, she is the flag bearer for women's MMA after Dana White said he would never have women's MMA. So kind of a no-brainer, Ronda Rousey, number two. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, like that idea that she brought women into MMA, right? Like, or, or into the UFC, rather. But into MMA mainstream, for that matter. And when you think about, like, you know, like you, you can almost see the 30 for 30 commercial. Like, what if I told you Daniel Wayne said there would never be women in the MMA, in, in the UFC, right? Like, that's the, the headline, right? Like, that's the, the piece. And then, like, now we have four divisions. We have, like plenty of women's champions who are like easily marketable like look how big rose nami Yunus was for a while look at look at what jessica andrage is doing look what amanda nunez is doing and like to be fair whether you like or dislike ronda rousey's career none of that happens without her uh and, and i think that that story in itself of how she became such a cult figure in such a short amount of time i think you you like have to watch it like it, it's so compelling so well said, nothing to add, and it's now time to reveal the number one 30 for 30 that we would want. Uh, it is the rise and fall of pride. Yeah, and, and, and I think that this is huge, too, uh, because, like, there's so much we don't know about why pride got big and why pride didn't get big and, like, wh why it died the way that it did. And, like, there's so many, like, shady background things in pride that – a documentary would just go so far in doing. And I know you're here, the bigger pride nerd than I am. And, and you probably have so many things that you want to see. But, like, for me, knowing what happened would be just such a relief. I think, I think in the same way that, you know, the UFC did a pride documentary, just like they did a uh, Ronda documentary, just like they've done coverage for everything Conor McGregor related and probably worth noting, we didn't put Conor McGregor on this because, you know, he had that awesome documentary that uh, Netflix ended up buying and, and putting out. But the UFC has covered Conor's story to death. Um, it would be so interesting to see an outside body do the pride. You talk about the rise and why it got started. Pride has, in my opinion, one of the greatest origin stories of all time, and it could be made into its own movie. 
the Japanese take professional wrestling very seriously. Professional wrestlers in Japan take themselves very seriously. Hicks and Gracie was a known name. The Gracies are very respected in Japan. And uh, someone once asked Hickson what he thought of wrestlers, and he said his opinion, which, as you can imagine, is they're not real fighters. Well, a Japanese fighter by the name of Yoji Anjo took exception to Hickson calling him basically a fake fighter. So do you know what he did, Gumby? I, I do not. You are the pride nerd. <laughs> okay. He got on a plane from Japan, and he flew with Japanese media to Hickson's gym in Southern California and essentially dojo stormed him and challenged him to a fight in front of his students. And Hickson Gracie said, okay, no problem, but let me tell you something. I will fight you. But when I fight for money, I stop fighting when the ref tells me to. When I fight for pride, I stop fighting when I want to. Hickson then took Yoji Anjo into the back room beat the shit out of him. There's videotape of it that has never been released. Joe Rogan and Eddie Bravo tried to get Hickson to release it when he was on Joe Rogan show a few years ago. He said one day he will eventually release it. But there was Japanese media there. They did not get to go inside the room where the fight happened, but they took photos of Yoji Anjo's face all bloodied up after he walked out of the room. Just an incredible story. Anjo weeks later, then sent a handwritten note, which I highly recommend if you're still listening to this MMA nerd history lesson, I highly recommend you Google Anjo apology letter to Hickson Gracie. It's online where he basically says in glowing terms how much he now respects Hickson Gracie, the family, and he sent him flowers along with it. So Hickson Gracie beat the shit out of this professional wrestler so bad he sent a thank you note or a sorry note and flowers. Fast forward three years later, his stablemate in professional wrestling, a man by the name of Takata, challenged Hickson again. Only this time they would do it for money and in front of 60,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. And that, my friends, is Pride One, which Henzo Gracie is also on the undercard of. So. Pride was basically established, and they didn't really think about doing like a Pride 2 or Pride 3. It was really just that one event to do pro wrestler defending the honor of pro wrestler against Hicks and fucking Gracie. How crazy is that? Yeah, that, that's not only crazy, but like the fact that that is the beginning, and it <laughs> continues to get crazier from there. I mean, like you hear all these stories about these backstage fights, too, because that's what Pride was like. I think that you. This is probably like a a five five piece documentary at the end of the day. But I would love to see how thirty for thirty boils it all down. Exactly, and then of course the UFC taking a bath when they go to buy it. They spend fifty million dollars basically paying the Japanese yakuza, and then find out that you know none of the office workers really work there, and there was really no, all they bought was a tape library and yeah. they, they took an entire bath on the deal. That's fucking crazy. Plus the fact that they encouraged their fighters to take steroids. It would make a wonderful uh, 30 for 30. So we went on a pretty big sidebar there, but let's review it. Our top five, you have um, John Jones, of course, is in there. Uh, you have Ronda Rousey. You have Brock switch over to the UFC. You have Kimbo Slice. And of course, the fall of pride. Hit us up on our Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Let us know if you love that list. Let us know if you hated that list. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. 
Gumby, it is now time for our UFC 238 breakdown, but I'm kind of wondering, does any company sponsor this breakdown? And this UFC 238 breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Head to sheathunderwear.com for underwear that is changing the underwear game. If you work out or do any physical activity, you shouldn't do it in boxers because everything flops all over the place. You shouldn't do it in briefs because they don't breathe and they crush your guys. Do them in sheath underwear, which somehow combines the two. It supports you like briefs, and it also promotes airflow like boxers so that you stay cool and supported all at the same time. And sheath will give you 20% off your whole order if you use promo code FLOW. That's right. The promo code FLOW will get you 20% off all your underwear purchases. Now, for the three fights, we're going to talk about the title fight at the top of the card. I'm going to take Marlon Marias over Henry Cejudo. Uh, I think Marias at 35 is going to be a problem for Cejudo. He's fast. He's got tons of power. I think on the feet, he's dangerous. And I really do think if Cejudo tries to grapple him, there's a chance he gets submitted in there. Marias is a negative 130 favorite to Cejudo, who's a plus 110 underdog. So I'm going to take Marias. We're going to skip the co-main event because let's, let's face it, Valentina Shevchenko betting off at negative 1300 is a pretty easy pick. Uh, so let's talk about the fight after that. I'm going to take down Cowboy Cerrone over Tony Ferguson. I know this is a surprise, but at plus 145, I think Cowboys both, A, got a lot of value, and B, I think he's a bad style matchup for Tony Ferguson. He is going to meet Tony Ferguson in the middle of the ring, and I don't know necessarily that Ferguson is going to be, A, able to get him down, or B, able to knock him out. So I like Cowboy Cerrone here by just being a little bit more versatile and by, you know, Dad Cerrone power. It's, it's a real thing. Uh, and then for the third fight we can break down, I'm going to take Aljamain Sterling over Pedro Munoz. I think Aljo showed such great growth in his boxing last time out by beating Jimmy Rivera. And at negative 130, he's a pretty small favorite. So I, I like him in this pick for, for gambling purposes and just for a straight-up pick. So for those three picks, I'm taking Marlon Marias over Henry Cejudo, Cowboy Cerrone over Tony Ferguson, and Aljamain Sterling over Pedro Munoz. And that's going to do it for this episode of Top Turtle MMA. We thank you, the fans, so much for listening in. We also want to thank our sponsors, Sisu Mouthguards, ADK Fightwear, Sheath Underwear, and Maroon Social. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app. I'd like to personally thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. And make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. We're going to be having some really awesome autograph giveaways on our Twitter, so make sure you follow along. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next time.